like for us to open tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul contrasts the Old Covenant made with the nation of Israel through Moses with the New Covenant, which was made with the church through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Covenant was a ministry of death. The New Covenant's a ministry of life through the Holy Spirit. The Old Covenant was a ministry of condemnation, but the New Covenant is a ministry of righteousness and so on. And he has these different contrasts there in 2 Corinthians 3. And his point is to highlight the surpassing glory of the new covenant as compared with the fading glory of the old covenant. And so he says then, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, this new covenant, glorious new covenant ministry, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Notice here another contrast that Paul makes with the Old Covenant. Back up in three seven, chapter 3, verse 7, Paul had said that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. And then here in chapter 4, verse 6, he says that God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of the old covenant shown in the face of Moses, while the glory of the new covenant, the glory of God, shines forth in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Let's pray. Lord, you are the giver of life, and we look to you tonight to give life to your word, to breathe your spirit upon this word, and to make it come alive. Lord, be our teacher tonight. Open our eyes. Draw us to Yourself. Meet needs here tonight, Lord, that only You can meet. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want us to focus tonight on verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. And there's three things here that I want us to consider. First of all, Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I want us to think about this treasure that Paul mentions. What is the treasure and why is it called the treasure? Then Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So secondly, we'll talk about these earthen vessels, these containers that the treasure is kept in. What are these earthen vessels? And then thirdly, we'll look at the reason why God chose to put his treasure into these earthen vessels. Paul says, Paul tells us the reason here, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So first of all, then, let's look at this treasure. Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is this treasure that Paul is talking about? Well, Some people say that the treasure is Paul's ministry that he's received, his new covenant ministry that he mentioned uh, back there in chapter 4, verse 1, and that he talks a lot about in chapter 3, too. Personally, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think it's a bit of a stretch for Paul to go all the way back to verse 1, to explain something that he brings up in in verse 7. I think it's a little bit of a stretch. I also think it's not right because if that were the case, then what Paul would be saying is that these verses here basically only apply to people who have been given some kind of gospel preaching ministry. And I don't think that's right. I think Paul means for these things that we've read here to apply to all Christians. Other people say that this treasure is the gospel. And I think that's getting closer to the truth, but I think it's still a little bit too general and too vague. I mean, what exactly does that mean, that the gospel is the treasure? I mean, yes, but what specifically is it talking about in the gospel? And so to my mind, the most likely option is that this treasure refers to what Paul had just mentioned in the verse right before verse 7, verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give, what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, you see. The treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Or to say it another way, the treasure is the ability to see and to know invisible spiritual reality. And the preeminent spiritual reality which the Christian sees and knows is the reality of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, if you're sitting there thinking that this doesn't sound like much of a treasure to you, all it means is is that the devil still has your mind blinded, just like he says back up there in verse 4. Because one of the first things that happens when God saves a person is he opens their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that sight is so beautiful and so wonderful and so glorious that nothing Nothing in that person's life is ever the same again when they see that glory. No one who has seen this glory would ever dare say that they were given anything less than a treasure that is more valuable 
than the riches in the world combined together. Think of how valuable it would be for someone to receive just their physical sight. I mean, here's a person who's been blind their whole life, 30, 40 years, and through some medical breakthrough, they're able to have their eyesight restored. I mean, what would their reaction be to seeing their first sunset, all of the colors flashing across the sky? What would their reaction be to seeing something like the Grand Canyon? I mean, I can guarantee you that that person would not sit there and say, I had my eyes open for this. I mean, this is all there is. How much more true is it, is it for someone who has had the eyes of their heart open to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ? Forget about the Grand Canyon. He made the Grand Canyon. He is the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's no wonder then that Paul calls this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ a treasure. Think of the privilege involved in being a recipient of this treasure. Matthew 13, 17, Jesus said, For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. Not just a few prophets and righteous men, many prophets and righteous men desired to see the very things that you see and did not see it. They did not get to. I mean, you open the Bible and you're able to read the Gospels and you're able to perceive the glory of Christ in the Gospels, and you're able to see things there that those prophets and righteous men never got to see. Consider Matthew 11.11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that's a pretty incredible statement. Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, what does Jesus go on to say? Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are greater than John the Baptist. How so? Because you're able to see and to know the glory of God in a clearer and higher way than John the Baptist ever did. I say again, what a privilege to be a new covenant child of God living in the age of the Spirit. Every Christian here tonight has been given a treasure of unparalleled worth, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Every Christian can see the Lord Jesus Christ for who He really is, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of His nature. John said, We saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And every Christian is able to see the same thing. And the ability to see that glory is something that only God can grant. Only God can shine the light into a sin-darkened heart. Paul goes on to say then, verse 7, This treasure is kept in earthen vessels. Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The ESV says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay. These earthen vessels, these jars of clay were basically the Tupperware of the ancient world. They were weak, they were plain-looking, and they were easily replaced. I mean, if you broke one of your jars of clay, you didn't take the time to patch it up. You just tossed it out and got a new one. They were cheap, disposable. But when Paul says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about us. He's talking specifically about our mortal bodies. In other words, we are the earthen vessels that God puts his treasure into. 
Now, why do I say that? Well, first of all, because Paul had said here in verse 6 that God has shown this treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's shown it into our hearts. You see, it's inside of us. The treasure is shown into our hearts, in our hearts, inside of our mortal bodies. That's where the treasure resides. It resides inside of us. It resides inside of earthen vessels, us. But secondly, notice that right after talking about these earthen vessels, Paul immediately goes on in the verses that follow here to talk about his mortal body. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So the earthen vessels that Paul is talking about here are us. We are the earthen vessels. We are the jars of clay, specifically our mortal bodies, but he's talking about us. As Christians, we are jars of of clay. And if what you're seeing is not a weak and plain looking jar of clay, then most likely you're not looking at a Christian. True Christians are never showy or impressive. They will never stand out from the crowd in an external kind of way. They'll never rise above the rest. They're weak, plain, and hardly worth a passing thought in the eyes of the world. And yet, these same weak, boring, plain looking, people carry around inside of them a treasure that is priceless. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. But ask yourself this question. Why in the world would God choose to put His most valuable treasure into such a pathetically plain container? Why would you put a most valuable treasure in a piece of Tupperware? And the first answer is so that the glory of the treasure would shine forth in an even greater way. If you had a really beautiful piece of jewelry that you wanted to show off, you wouldn't take the jewelry and put it in a box that was covered with gold and covered with jewels and everything. Otherwise, the box ends up looking more impressive than the jewelry does. And that's not what you want. You want the jewelry to look impressive. And that's why whenever a guy buys a a, a ring for his girl, it's always put in a really plain-looking black or gray box. I mean, if you're going to give a ring to your girlfriend, the last thing you want is for the box to be more impressive than the ring, you see. (laughs) So God puts his treasure inside of an ordinary, plain-looking container so that the glory of that treasure would shine forth all the more. But the second reason why God chooses to put his treasure into such an unworthy container is right here in verse 7. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. You see, not only has every Christian been given a priceless treasure, but every Christian also has surpassingly great power being manifested in their lives. All the time. Now, lost people are interested in power only because they want to keep themselves safe and free from harm. Governments amass wealth. Governments build a strong military. Why? In order to protect their people. 
to keep their people from, from, out harm, from harm's way, from outside attacks. Individuals amass wealth and power to insulate themselves from anything that might threaten them. For the lost person, power is about insulation, safety, protection from possible harm. But we can see right away here in this passage that this is not what the surpassing power in the life of the believer is about. Far from keeping us from harm, Paul goes right on to say in the very verses that follow that we are what? Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus and constantly being delivered over to death. In addition to that, we have verses like Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Peter tells us to not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, what Paul is describing here in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12, is not some strange thing, but is simply the normal Christian life. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, and so on. And so the question then is this. If the surpassingly great power that is at work in the life of Christians doesn't keep us from trials, then what does it do? I mean, you can almost hear the objection, can't you? You're telling me that there is surpassingly great power at work in my life, and yet I'm perplexed and persecuted and struck down all of the time. Some power this is. I mean, it sounds like some pretty impotent power. But here's the answer. The surpassingly great power that is at work in our lives as Christians is not meant to keep us from trials, but is meant to sustain us in the midst of trials and to bring us safely through the trials. To say it another way, God's power is manifested in our lives not by keeping us from the hard things, but by sustaining us in the midst of the hard things and bringing us through them safely to the other side. And this is why we need to go back here and to read the second half of the verses that I purposely left out. In verses 8 through 12, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You see, God's power doesn't keep us from these hard things, but it keeps us in them, sustains us in them, and keeps us through them. And if that still doesn't seem like a very impressive display of God's power to you, remember we're talking about jars of clay here. Do you realize how fragile a jar of clay is? I mean, if you knock it off the table, it shatters. That's all it takes. That's how fragile and weak it is. Yet, God's power is so great that He is able to take a pathetic, fragile, weak clay jar, us, 
and bring us safely through the war zone of this world with bullets coming at us all the time, bombs going off around our feet at every step, and yet when the smoke clears, here is this same fragile, weak jar of clay standing there, shining forth like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. And in that day, no one is going to be sitting around boasting about how they made it because they were such strong vessels. The whole point is that there's no such thing as a strong vessel. A strong jar of clay is a contradiction in terms. It's like saying a heavy feather. It doesn't work. (laughs) Jars of clay are always inherently weak and fragile. That's what they are in and of themselves. In that day, all glory will go to God who is able to bring such a weak and fragile vessel safely through the fiery furnace of this world all the way to glory. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. I want to close in with three applications of this. First of all, even though we all have the same treasure, we are not all the same vessel. Let me say that again. Even though we all have the same treasure, we are not all the same vessel. Again, Paul says in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Notice, the treasure is singular, the vessels are plural. Every Christian is a unique vessel designed by God Himself in order to display the glory of God in a way that is unique to that individual person. My strengths and weaknesses are not your strengths and weaknesses and vice versa. And the tendency is to start trying to measure ourselves by ourselves, and in doing so we're not wise. The fact of the matter is that God has designed you in such a way that He would get glory from your life in a way that He cannot get from someone else. And He will use your particular strengths, He will use your particular weaknesses to manifest the surpassing greatness of His power in your life in a way that He won't in someone else's life. You know, you can waste a lot of time and energy wishing that you were someone else. And that's all you're doing is wasting. God wants you to be you and to run the race that He's laid out for you. You remember the story there at the end of John's Gospel when Jesus is telling Peter about what kind of death that Peter would die in order to glorify him. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. He tells Peter all this, and then he says, follow me. And the the very first thing that Peter does is he turns around. (laughs) Follow me, Peter. Turns around. It's just like, it's amazing. It's just like Peter. But then it goes on here. Um, John 21, let's pick it up there. John chapter 21. Jesus had said, follow me. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord... What about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And there's the exhortation for us tonight. Eight words. 
What is that to you? You follow me. Stop worrying about other people and fix your eyes on Christ and follow the path that he has laid out specifically for you and trust him to make you into the person that he wants you to be. It might not be the person that you want to be, but it'll be the person that he wants you to be, which is better. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. Second application is this. Do not despair of your weaknesses. Do not despair of your weaknesses. I had said a minute ago that God designs each believer with specific strengths and specific weaknesses in order to manifest his power in his or her life in a unique way. But many of us, I think, if we were honest, would have to admit that we have a hard time being content with that reality. I mean, we simply don't want to be jars of clay. We buck up against that. We don't want to be a jar of clay. We don't want to be an earthen vessel. We want to be something stronger, something bigger, something less fragile, something less weak. But the fact is, beloved, that you are an earthen vessel. That's what you are if you're a Christian. And no amount of wishing and hoping is going to change that fact. That's what you are. But here's the thing. Rather than sitting around despairing of our weaknesses, we must learn to embrace our weaknesses as unique opportunities for the power of God to be manifested in our lives. And we can see this so clearly in 2 Corinthians 12. Let's turn there. A familiar passage here, Paul's talking about this thorn. And by the way, I need to mention this because I think this is a a problem that people can run into with this. A lot of times this passage here in 2 Corinthians 12 is used the same way that Romans 7 is used. People say, look, Paul had this thorn, which was some sin problem in his life, and he just could not get rid of that thing. And he prayed and asked the Lord to take care of it, and the Lord said, no, I'm not taking it away. And so Paul just struggled with this sin issue his whole life, just like Romans 7. Paul was a defeated man in Romans 7. He struggled with this sin, and he was never able to overcome it. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not the idea that, man, I, you know, I just can't get away from this bottle. I'm just always going to have this, this alcohol around. That Just like Paul had that thorn in the flesh, this bottle is my thorn. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about sin issues here. He's talking about physical weaknesses. And sometimes it's hard to, to know where to draw the line. For example, think of someone like William Cooper who struggled greatly with depression. Was that just a sin problem in his life, or were there some physical things there too? You see, it's not always easy to know where to draw the line. But nevertheless, Paul's not talking about some known sin issue in your life that he that God refuses to take away and that you're just going to have to struggle with your whole life. That's not what this is talking about. But 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, what was this thorn? We don't know. Um, you can read commentaries and they'll go through all the options for you, but we don't. the bottom line is we don't know what the thorn was. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, now here's the response. Paul prays three times imploring the Lord that the thorn would be taken away. Here's the response. Paul, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul's response, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. See, it's not some sin issue. He's talking about insults, distresses, and these other kinds of things thrown in there. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do not despair of your weaknesses. Boast gladly in your weaknesses. Be content with your weaknesses. Your fragility is God's opportunity to manifest His power in your life. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God will use those weaknesses, the specific weaknesses that He's given you, He will use those to manifest His power in your life in a way that He could not have otherwise. Lastly, number three. Application number three. Christians are fragile objects and must be handled with care. Christians are fragile objects and must be handled with care. Now, when you take a package to the post office, there's a particular question that they almost always ask you when you're getting ready to mail that package. And if anybody in this room knows what that question is, it's probably going to be Mona. Because I imagine she sends more packages than anybody else here combined, probably. So, Mona, what's the question that they always ask you when you take a package to be mailed? You got it. (laughs) See, I knew that you would know. Um, Are you sending anything fragile, liquid, or perishable? That they always ask you that. Are you sending anything fragile, liquid, or perishable? And if you're sending something fragile, what do they do? Well, they take a stamp and they stamp it and it says fragile on the stamp. Now, why do they do that? So that every person who handles that package from that point on knows that what is inside can be broken easily and so the package must be handled with care. And as Christians, we would do well to picture a big red stamp that says fragile right across the forehead of every Christian we come into contact with. Beloved, we're dealing with jars of clay when we're dealing with believers. We're dealing with jars of clay, not containers made of steel. Christians are fragile and can break easily. We must be careful with our words, careful with our actions, careful with our glances. And you might be tempted to say, well, so-and-so just needs to develop a thicker skin. Yeah, and maybe you need to develop more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Not to mention the fact that I have yet to see someone develop a thicker skin just by telling them they need to develop a thicker skin. It doesn't work that way. I mean, one of the things I learned early on as a teacher is the kids will not grow up just by having me tell them to grow up. It just doesn't work. There has to be some motivation. You see, there has to be some change in their perception of reality. There has to be something that clicks where they see that I need to change. I had one kid, I told him, I said, Look, Aaron, you're never going to have a girlfriend if you keep acting like that. (laughs) And it worked for a little while. (laughs) 
until he got a girlfriend and she broke up with him, and then it it came back. That's a true story. Um, but again, it, it doesn't work to just tell somebody to develop a thicker skin. You've got to get to the root of the problem. I mean, why do you think that people are thin-skinned to begin with? Many times it's because their sense of self-worth is so bound up with what other people think about them that if anybody comes to them with even the smallest rebuke or correction, they break into a million pieces. And the way to help a person like that isn't by telling them that they need to simply get a thicker skin. And the way to help a person like that isn't to stroke their ego either. You help them by getting them grounded in the gospel. You teach them about justification, that when they became a Christian, they were clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and God now accepts them and loves them in the same way that he accepts and loves his own son. And slowly you begin, their gaze, it shifts off of themselves, and it shifts onto Christ. And instead of having their self-worth coming from what other people think about them, their self-worth will begin to come from what God thinks about them in Christ. And when that happens, no amount of correction or rebuke is going to phase them, you see, because they're grounded in something else. Does this mean that we never rebuke or exhort other believers? May it never be. But it does mean that we need to be wise about how we go about doing it. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Colossians 4.6 And Ephesians 4.29 and 30 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. So even though we all have the same treasure, we're not all the same vessel. We are not to despair of our weaknesses, but to boast in them, be content in them. And the reminder here that Christians are fragile objects and must be handled with care. Amen.